0: Allow me to introduce myself. I'm Ben Daly, husband to Kim, dad to Kylie and Cade, lead pastor of Calvary Church, founder of Gospel Institute, and Gospel Circle of Churches and Ministries. And somehow, I ended up authoring a few books, which is the whole point of this video, by the way. I'm releasing my third book. One day in 2012, I realized I'd been struggling with a condition. Years of performance-based religion, the nagging guilt and shame it produced, had made the Christian life a grind. I'd been preaching the gospel, or so I thought, week after week, but something kept me from experiencing the freedom, joy, and love that I described to so many people, then grace broke in. In this book, I peel off layers of false assumptions and misbeliefs to explain how God's magnificent grace is inviting us out of a dense jungle of guilt and into the freedom of his love. So without further ado, I present my new book, Captured by Grace, Be Free from Fear So You Can Really Live. Church, if you'd lift your hands up high whether you're here in person or online. Father, I thank you for your presence today. I thank you for the anointing that makes preaching easy and hearing your word a sweet delight. Today, I thank you that I'm in a church that loves the gospel. We want more than milk. We want more than bread. Today, we say we want meat. So our prayers feed us until we want no more take one of your hands, set it on your heart, say it out loud with all you got. Say eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to receive, a mouth to confess, all the good things Christ has already provided for me. Well, welcome to the launch of a brand new series that I have called Captured by Grace. This series is based on my brand new book. Captured by grace, be freed from fear so you can really live. And I want to tell you that over the next seven weeks, you need to get ready for the ride of your life, whether you're here in person or online. And as you know, we are a church that is committed to the declaration and demonstration of the gospel. Declaration is our message Demonstration is our ministry. The declaration and demonstration of the radical grace of God. We believe that God's grace is the core message of the gospel. If you will today, go with me please to Hebrews chapter 10. And while you're going there, I've got to give you a warning. The gospel that you are about to hear preached today is not just for babies or children. It is for adults. It's not just milk or bread. It is meat. Let me say it like this. It isn't just outer court or holy place. It is most holy place. And if you're ready for God's word out loud, say yes. In chapter one of my book, I tell this story. When World War II came to an end, it was a time of great joy and celebration. The fact is Proverbial swords were beaten into plowshares. Prisoners were set free. Millions of soldiers went home to their families. But one man by the name of 2nd Lieutenant Onadu of the Imperial Japanese Army chose not to believe broadcasts announcing the end of the war. For the next, think about this, 29 years, This lieutenant hid in the jungles of the Philippines refusing to come home. And knowing that he was still out there, the authorities tried to reach him with the news. They wanted to tell him the good news that the war had been fought. It was over. However, this lieutenant dismissed leaflets that were left by the islanders as, as nothing more than enemy propaganda. And he considered letters and Family photos and newspapers dropped from planes as nothing more than a clever trick. He didn't believe it. In 1974, a Japanese college student made it his personal quest to try to track down this holdout. And after trekking through the jungles, the student found this old soldier and befriended him. But listen, he could not convince him to surrender. Well, eventually, the Japanese government sent Onoda's former commanding officer into the jungles with orders for him to stand down. So finally, relieved of duties, Onoda emptied the bullets from his rifle, and he finally turned in his weapon. Think about this. For him, after nearly 30 years, three decades... The war was finally over and he returned home, the story goes, uh, to a hero's welcome. Now think about that, for nearly three decades, Lieutenant Onada was engaged, watch, in a war that only existed in his mind against an imaginary enemy that he both feared and distrusted. And when I read that story, I realized that this is how many of us relate to God. Many, many people relate to God this way. They are opposed to God in their minds. The Bible says that we make an enemy of God in our own minds. A whole lot of people think that God is gunning for them on account of their sin and their mistake. And they haven't heard that there has been a cessation of hostilities the good news is that the war has been fought and won. And by the way, the Prince of Peace is now sitting on the throne. So ignorant of this good news and very fearful of God, here's what we do we lay low in the jungles of religion or godless deception, self deception, thinking crazy stuff. God hates me, God's against me, God's. In a bad mood, that's what they think, and his anger's mounting, and they're not sure what God's doing now, but they expect him to show up one day because there's going to be hell to pay. They just don't know what kind of mood God's in on any given day. I want you to know that I wrote the book Captured by Grace for one simple reason. I realize that most people, even many people who have gone to church their entire lives, they still have not heard the good news. They have not heard the gospel. When I say the word gospel, it simply means good news. They've not heard the good news. How do I know? Because most are unsure of who God is. They're unsure of what he thinks about them, about what he believes true about them. Or perhaps they've heard the gospel, but they don't believe it. It just does not fit In their grid. So what do they do? I'll tell you what they do. They live their lives under a lie. Here's the picture. Remaining in the jungle, right? Fighting a war that's already been fought. That is over. Refusing to come home. Friends, I'm telling you, it is time to be captured by grace. This is the message for the world And I'll tell you why most of us have lived or are currently living in this kind of jungle spiritually. And I believe that Jesus, our commanding officer, gracious commanding officer, is stepping into our jungle, and he's calling us to freedom. And I'm going to tell you that it is a radical kind of freedom. But for many people, freedom is an uncomfortable proposition, Freedom is really a bad word. It's a scary word for people who have been trained to live under legalism and live under moralism. In chapter 1 of my book, I talk about both of those, legalism and moralism. And just like when God, here's the picture, delivered the Israelites into freedom from that harsh rule of the law under Pharaoh in Egypt... It did not take long for them to demonstrate that they did not know what to do with this new freedom that they were given. God had delivered them, he'd offered them a deliverance, here's the picture from law to grace, from Egypt to the promised land, but as soon as they had their freedom, as soon As the Red Sea swallowed up Pharaoh's armies behind them, the fear and the frustration began to set in. They're saying things like this. What are you talking about, Moses? Who you think you're dealing with? Who's, you know, going to feed us now? Who's going to provide for us now? Who's going to take care of us out here in this God-forsaken wilderness. Yeah, we were oppressed in the land of Egypt. Yeah, we were beaten up. We were burned out. We were broken down from 400 years of slavery. But, you know, I think we kind of bonded with our captors and we'd slowly gotten used to the idea that even though we're slaves, we're in bondage, at least we were guaranteed three square meals a day. And now you're telling us to trust, you're telling us to blindly trust that the God of our ancestors is going to provide quail and manna and springs of water to sustain us every day. You expect us to walk through this desert and you're telling us. That our shoes are not going to wear out and we're going to follow a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. This freedom thing is scary. It is unpredictable. Can't we just go back to Egypt? In other words, can't we just go back to bondage? And sadly, I'm telling you, that is how a whole lot of people, too many Christians, live their lives. They're set free By the grace of god the moment they trust in christ but come on dwelling in freedom walking the pace of grace living by faith without a bunch of religious rules and regulations that sounds pastor come on a little loosey-goosey to me I'd rather go back to Egypt. I'd rather go back into my former jungle where at least my surroundings were familiar, even if I was miserable there. Oh my God. Well, I'm here to spend the next few weeks with you church here in person and online. And I'm here to tell you sons and daughters Over the next seven weeks, you better get ready. We are about to walk out of the jungle once and for all. We are going to leave Egypt of sin and bondage behind. We're going to start enjoying our promised land. And by the way, we realize our promised land is not a piece of real estate. Our promised land is a person. Jesus is the land flowing with milk and honey, flowing with abundance and provision. And if i got a church that believes it, clap your hands and give God praise. Thank you, Jesus. So today we're going to start our journey by taking a close look at three If I have time, maybe one, two, I don't know. Three critical issues that we've got to start understanding if we are going to thrive under grace versus what? How a whole lot of us are living. Surviving under law and legalism and religious bondage. So in taking the first steps out of the jungle today, I want us to start looking at three Critical issues, I'm going to pull them from different chapters, just touch on them. If you don't have the Calvary Church app, you need to get it, download it, go to the app store, one word, Calvary Church, so you see all the notes are there, all the scriptures so that you can study on your own, but three critical issues that we must understand. The first one is this, and, and I really want you to get this, we've got to understand confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. Yeah. Um, Many of us grew up uh, under some expression of religion. Some form of what I'd call jungle experience. And if you didn't grow up under religion, I want to say you may be better off than those of us who did because you have the opportunity to start with a blank slate. Fact is, you have less to unlearn. Some of us, we just live in detox. We're coming out from this stuff. But whatever the case, most of us have heard about these ideas right here. Confession and repentance. And by the way, these are beautiful words. I love these words. And how sad is it that these words have been mangled in the machinery of religion they're beautiful words confession and repentance and for people who grow up in the in the catholic tradition the view they have of confession is what well i got to go and i got to sit down with the priest and then i got to bear my soul of all the little naughty things that i did Over the last, you know, well, since the last time I've been here. And then the priest is going to declare some kind of, you know, absolving of my sin. And then, you know, he's going to load me up with some penance. Something to do in order to make up for whatever it was that, you know, I fell short of in my devotion to God. Catholic tradition. And then I got to mess with us Protestants a little bit because we may not go sit down with a priest. But let me tell you something. We have our own form of penance we'll tell ourselves that if we feel bad enough for long enough and work really hard to keep our little noses clean for a while then God's displeasure will somehow be appeased but no matter what stream of Christianity that you have come from you've probably been told the importance you've heard the word very beautiful word, confession. After all, well-meaning people will say, "Well, doesn't the Bible say?" I mean, First John one nine, right? And then they'll just rip it out of context and just throw it at you that if we, if we, if we confess our sins, then He's faithful and just to forgive us. He'll 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 dole out a little forgiveness if we do our part and if we confess our sin. And and people say this stuff. See, it's right there. It's 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 as. Plain as can be, if we confess, then God will forgive. But, but they rip it out of context and forget, here's the gospel, that Jesus has already, past tense, paid the price for our forgiveness. By the way, First John chapter 1 is written, read the first 1, 2, 3, 4 verses to the unbeliever. Chapter 2 is written to uh, the believer uh and so they just fail to understand that confession, I'm sorry, it is not a magic wand that somehow triggers God's forgiveness. Rather, confession simply means if we confess, well, if we what? What does it mean? If we agree with God. If we agree with God, well, agree with what? Well, I, I, I did wrong and probably failed to bring you some glory. And, and that's one of the most, I think, common ways which everyday believers, I just think they get bogged down with kind of this works-based, re- religious, legalistic relationship with God. And here it is, Christians think it's their job. That's why you're so tired. They think it's their job to keep themselves in good standing with God through what? Through my confession when in reality, you ready for good news? It's the finished work of Jesus Christ alone that keeps us in good standing with God even on my most clumsy, frustrating, messed up days. If y'all thankful for Jesus, clap your hands and give him praise. Come on. Wake up, church. Wow. Holler it out. Say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. So for the Christian, confession of sin really isn't about forgiveness because we understand that was taken care of at the cross once and for all. We're going to look at that word once and for all. For the Christian, confession is really about And I love this word because he gives grace to these people. Confession is really about humility. Humility, right? It's about humbly walking in agreement with God. Even when I fail, I was wrong. You're right. And thankfully, every sin, past, present, future, was already forgiven at the cross. So, can I just tell you, I love confession. Well, Ben Daly does not like confession. I confess more than you. I love confession. You ought to love confession. Watch this. I love confession when it's done properly. And the reality is, confession is what? It's freely acknowledging our total dependence on God's grace for whatever, for salvation for sanctification, for anything else. Confession is faith put into words. It's relying on the one who cleanses us from all, all, not some, all of our unrighteousness. And then there's this other idea, repentance, right here. That's a big one. And many people, they hear this word right here, repentance, and I'm gonna tell you, they got visions of people. This is how I always saw it. You better repent, right? You better repent. And when you say it with a really low voice, it scares people. You gotta repent. I mean, the lower your voice can really scare them to the front. My God, you gotta repent. And, and, and then I got visions of what? Just people groveling, groveling, and just begging God for forgiveness and, 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 and making promises, right? We call them dedications and then rededications. And I would rededicate on a dedication I'd already made. And then I'd rededicate on a rededication. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. And it's all of this making promises to God. And then others have been taught that repentance means what? Well, it means making a 180 degree turn away from sin. So it's always talking about turning away from sin. Turn away. Turn away from, turn away from. But what does repentance actually mean? In the original language of the New Testament, the word is actually a compound uh, word from uh, two, two words, and one means uh, change, the first word. I'm not going to get into it in the, in the Greek, but one means change. And then the other word simply means mind or perspective. Perspective. Mind or perspective. So I double-dog dare you to tell me what the word repentance means. It means to change, to simply, my theology is a form of repentance. To simply change your mind or perspective. And where it gets a little dicey, y'all, and this is meat, but where it gets a little dicey is that oftentimes you will hear a preacher say something like, you better repent. You cannot be blessed. You cannot be saved. You cannot experience God's turn unless you repent. And what they mean by that is what? You had better feel really bad about yourself. You better feel real bad about yourself. And you better promise God, you better make a promise to God that you will make that turn away from that stuff. Now, it goes without saying, please hear me, church. Please hear me, church. Please hear me, church. church. It goes without saying that turning, well, Ben Daly doesn't think that we should turn from sin. Listen, turning from sin is a wise thing to do, because how many have figured out sin has consequences? So it's probably good to turn from sin, but here's the issue. We don't receive salvation. Y'all are ready for this? We don't receive God's goodness by making promises to God. We receive salvation by trusting in His promises to us that Jesus died for our sin, was raised the third day to what? To bring forgiveness and new life, both gifts by the grace of God. And if you're thankful for it, go ahead and give God a good hand clap of praise. Y'all making me work too hard today going to make you lose your mind. And, And it's so important that we properly understand what these words mean, confession and repentance, what they mean. Otherwise, let me tell you, you are in danger of being manipulated by false definitions that get us thinking that if we promise things to God, you know, whatever that is, that if you confess enough and you make enough, you know, in turning and, and, and all of this, then you will finally be forgiven. Let me tell you something. Church, that is not good news. Is confession a good idea? Absolutely. It's about walking humbly in agreement with God, not about getting ongoing little doses of, of forgiveness. All the forgiveness we will ever need, this is the gospel, has already been provided. Through the cross where Jesus died. And by the way, we should be willing to agree with God about a lot more than sin when we blew it. Because if you think I'm talking about just agreeing with God about sin, now let me tell you something. You ought to agree with God about your irrevocable righteousness. That you are not guilty (laughs) And you are, in, y'all, I'm starting to feel it right now. I feel the lemonade coming right now. You are not guilty, and you are entirely pleasing to God. There's an anointing on this right now. Take one of your hands, set it right here. Lift up your head and say it out loud. Say, I'm not guilty. I can't hear you. I could hear online better than you. Say, I'm not guilty. I'm entirely pleasing to God. Now, if you believe it, clap your hands and give him the best praise you've given him all day long. Hey! Ah. So, we're going to talk about repentance like week three of this series. You're not going to want to miss it. Is repentance, we're we're going to talk about righteousness. Is repentance a good idea? Absolutely. When you understand it's simply what? An exchange of information. It's an empowered decision to think the way God thinks. To begin to believe what God believes true about you. That's what faith is. It's not you convincing God to believe something true about you. Faith is you finally agreeing with what God already believes about you. And I think a lot of us, a lot of Christians, miss what God wants to do through them due to what? Due to an unrenewed mind. Due to false belief. True repentance is not primarily a sin issue. It's a faith issue. Because again, Old Covenant... Repentance was a sin issue. New covenant, the emphasis is a faith issue. Old covenant, we say no to sin. New covenant, we say yes in faith to Jesus. So what's religion? Religion is always turn from sin, turn from sin, turn from sin, turn from sin. That's all I heard. Turn from sin, turn from sin. You know what that makes you? Just a dizzy sinner. (laughs) Religion is always turn from sin, turn from sin, turn from sin. But you want to know what the gospel is? The gospel says come to Jesus and he'll set you free from the power of sin. It's not just about what you turn from. It's about who you turn to. And you know who got... got uh, repentance down the Pharisees if anybody knew how to turn from sin it was the Pharisees and Jesus had a problem with them and the problem was you may be turning from sin but watch you still hadn't turned to me turning from sin might make you a moral person and the church is filled with moral people watch this Turning from sin will make you a moral person, but it'll never make you a righteous person because only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus. So true repentance is not a response to sin. It's a response to love. True repentance doesn't happen because people see how bad they are, but rather it takes place effortlessly when people see how good God is. That's why Paul said repentance is an overflow of what? The kindness of God. He said it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that caused me to change my mind. It's the kindness of God that caused me to change my perspective. At the end of 2012, when I came into a revelation of grace, it was not the badness of God. It was the kindness of God that changed my mind about everything. Wow. All right, let's move into the next part. Very important. I'm going quick. If we're going to live free under grace... As opposed to bondage, living under bondage, under law, we need to, oh my goodness, we need to understand, and I'm going to add this word here, mess with you a little bit, it's so good, sometimes when I teach, I want to sit down and take notes on myself, I start blessing myself so much, I want to say, complete forgiveness. I want to use that word, complete forgiveness. Again, we've been conditioned in the jungles of religion with this idea that God does what? He just administers just small, gradual doses of forgiveness over our lives when in reality, the Bible says, he has forgiven us, watch this, once and for all. When I just said that, some of you have a hard time in your head believing that, but watch this. Your baby leaped in your womb. You have a hard time in your mind, but in your spirit you say, that's right. And I'll tell you, here's here's something for you to wrestle with. Just really grab hold of this a little bit today. What if I told you, I just submit. What if I told you that your sins are forgiven Past, present, and future. Would that sound to some of you nearly too good to be true? I mean, would that sound impossible based on your understanding of, of God because you think God's gunning for you? Some of you, you would say, well, that's very irresponsible. I cannot believe that Ben Daly would get up there and he would say that. That's very in- irresponsible for a preacher to say because you're going to ignite, you know, fear in people that they may use the information that I just gave you to... Basically, give you a license to sin. I've had people write me letters. I've had people tell me, Pastor, don't preach too much of this gospel because you may set people too free. In other words, you know what they were saying? Just keep them in bondage just a little bit. How sad. A little slavery is okay. How sad. You need to hear the gospel. And I'm here to tell you that unless we understand the extent of the unconditional forgiveness that we have received through Christ. It will be impossible for you to escape the jungles of religion. That our forgiveness is complete does not mean that everybody automatically, you know, enjoys what's called the kingdom of heaven. We enjoy it like, doesn't mean you enjoy it just because Christ died, doesn't mean you you believe it and enjoy it. You may be missing out on the party, but it doesn't change the fact that the party's going on. Christ's sacrifice, the Bible says, is sufficient for all. He died, First John, for the sins of the world, but it's efficient, the Bible says, only for those who believe, believe and receive. I mean, I wanna enjoy it, believe and receive. So the price has fully been paid universally. But this is what I love about the gospel. That the first Adam, I lost my ability to choose. The last Adam, Jesus, gave me my choice back. So I get to choose now. The price has been paid for all, but the gift has got to be received. Receive it. And the moment that gift is received, let me tell you something. Receive with what? Just childlike faith. It's just simply, yes. It's good enough. It's not even something you work up. It's just a, yeah, yes, I receive it. Take a deep breath. It's good enough for me. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll have some of that. Yes, it's good. And unfortunately, when someone hears this good news for the first time about even our future sins already being forgiven, it's common. I'll hear people say this that don't know the gospel. They'll say things like this. Well, then what's going to prevent people from abusing God's gift of complete forgiveness as this license to sin? And it's important to realize that God's grace, by definition, is certainly open to the possibility of being abused. Grace of God is what this no strings attached favor that is poured out upon the undeserving that was me and yes it is theoretically possible for someone to abuse such kindness however as we grow in our understanding in the depth of God's seemingly irrational love for us we begin to understand the legal and the vital. The legal is what? In, in that sense that we are found not guilty. But the vital is what? In this sense that grace also empowers us to walk and enjoy our freedom from the dominance of sin in our lives. And we're going to talk more about this later on. But I just want you to know not only did he give you saving grace, but he gave you empowering grace. Not only did he bring you out from. Watch this but he brought you in too. Are you all getting this? You weren't just saved from, you were saved for. He brought you out, but he also brings you in. So we're going to talk about that. But suffice to say, God's already, let this sink in, let it sink in. He's already provided forgiveness of all your sins. May you hear the Spirit of God even in this moment. Past, present, future. Some of you say, well, I get it. I get them my past sins, and I get them my present, but I don't know about my future. I mean, that's just too much. Well, think about that. Past, present, and future. Think about it. They were all still future when Jesus died. <laughs> the fact that this sacrifice is eternal means that God applies it to all situations for all people and for all time. And I really believe that the book of Hebrews, are you there? The book of Hebrews is the most powerful book in the Bible describing the absolute finished work of Christ and his supremacy over law-based religion. I want you to see this. The author describes this tedious religious duties that the priests had to abide by in these, in these Old Testament Uh, times. And so look at verse 11, Hebrews 10, and just look how tired it makes you even reading it. Day after day, after day, after day, every priest, this makes me tired, stands, and he stands and performs. Look at that word. Boy, the performance treadmill. He performs His religious duties. Here it is. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices over and over and over, which can never take away sin. So, under the law of Moses, watch the priests were constantly what? Did you see it? They were standing, they were laboring, they were working. They were sacrificing on behalf of this never-ending pile of sins the people were committing. But I want you to contrast that posture with the posture of Jesus in the very next verse. Look at verse 12. But when this priest, thank you, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice, look at this, for all sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Are y'all getting this, church? Do you see the difference? The Old Testament priest is constantly, it just makes me tired saying it, standing and laboring and working and sacrificing. That sounds like your life. Just standing and laboring and working and sacrificing. But what about Jesus, the priest, it says, of a new and better covenant? After he had offered for all time one final sacrifice for our sins, what did he do? He sat down. What did Jesus do? Offered one final sacrifice. For how long? It says for all time past present and future well what's he doing now it says he's sitting down at the right hand of the father and he's resting and he's now offering you rest and I hear the Spirit of God saying to you today come to me all you who are weary and tired and tired of jungle living and worn out and burned out on religion and I'll offer you the very rest that I've got and by the way he's resting not because he's lazy he's resting because because the work has already been finished. Come on, somebody. Wow. Woo. And unless and until you understand and embrace this, what complete forgiveness, you'll find that what I'm talking about, true rest, will escape you, and you will spend your life soldiering In the jungle, always on guard, always looking over your shoulder, wondering who's out to get you. But when you embrace total forgiveness, guess where you'll be seated? With Jesus, simply enjoying the right hand of the Father. And thirdly, because I feel like taking communion today. If you're going to come out of the jungle once for all, yeah, by the way, this word, forgiveness, to let go, to let go, to hold nothing against you. Yeah. Oh, this is a big one. Uh, You've got to understand covering. This is big versus total cleansing. Covering versus cleansing. Covering versus cleansing. Because for years, here's what I would say. Preachers say this all the time. Well-meaning Christians say it all the time. They say stuff like this. Lord, I thank you for covering our sins with the blood of Jesus. And I, and believe me, I don't believe most preachers mean to do any harm when they make that statement. Most people don't. I, 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 in fact, I used to say that kind of stuff before, you know, the Lord kindly illuminated the new covenant to me. But there's a big difference. Watch this. There is a huge difference between believing that Jesus has covered your sin and believing that Jesus has cleansed you from all your sin. In the old, say this out loud, say the cross, Cross. say it out loud, say the cross Cross. changed everything. everything. Do you believe that? Okay. Pre-cross, right? Post-cross, where do you live? Well, then act like it. (laughs) Pre-cross, old. Post-cross, new. Pre-if-then. Post sins therefore. Covering, cleansing. I get it. You're right if you're living pre-cross. Pre-cross in the Old Testament we often read that God what? Covered sin. Watch. Anybody can throw a blanket over something so that it's out of you. But you know it's still there. And that's how some of you think. The blood of Jesus works. That it just cup, And every once in a while, you go back. And... <laughs> you, you, you think that's what God does, too. You'll hear, you'll hear Ben say, you're free. You walk away, and say, God, thank you. You don't have this revelation of, of total cleansing. You walk away, and say, thank God. I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to live. I'm free. And every once in a while, you go back. Try to check it out. Are y'all getting this? (laughs) I I just want to teach you today. I told you it's going to be meat. I told you it's going to be meat. The animal sacrifices made by those Old Testament priests, they would cover the sins of the people, but they would never cleanse the people. And though, though the sentiment may, I get it, come... From a pure heart when we say Jesus covered your sin. Do you know what we're doing when we say that? We are actually insulting the finished work of the cross because we're failing to recognize that his blood accomplished more than bulls and goats. Stomping on his goodness. And jumping back to, to, to uh, Hebrews 10. Look at verse 1 with me. I mean, this stuff is so meaty, look at this, the law, pre, the law is what? Only a, say it out loud, only a what? Only a what? Not the substance, it's only a what? It's a shadow of the good thing that's coming, not the reality itself. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice, repeated over and over and over, year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Man, there's so much packed in this verse. If I stayed here, I'd be here all day, but i got to finish. I've got to point out that the law of Moses was only a what? It was only a shadow, not the substance. Only a shadow, not the substance. Let me say it like this. Not the real thing. Think about that when you see a shadow cast on the ground from around the corner you realize that the shadow is not the real thing watch but the shadow is what it's alerting you of the real thing that's on its way and that's what the sacrificial system of the Old Testament was designed to do to show people what that the real thing is just around the corner it's just a shadow of the real thing that's the come ain't nothing like the real thing, baby. Are y'all getting this? And because it's only a shadow, watch, it's only a shadow, it could never make anyone perfect. Yeah. But watch, it could point them to the real one coming. Messiah, could never actually do the work of the Messiah. It could cover sin, watch this, but it couldn't take away sin. Look at verse 4, look at verse 4. It is possible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sin. No, it doesn't say that. It says, impossible. For the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And then he goes on to talk about Jesus who came to do the will of the Father by what? Offering himself. What a picture. Look at verse 10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus. And here's that word. Once and for all. There's that declaration again. Once and for all. Isn't that beautiful? I'm just telling you, church, isn't isn't that amazing? Isn't that good news? And then verse 14. I can't wait to take communion today, but verse 14 says what? For by one sacrifice, he, Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Do you see what this is saying? There is a difference between cleansing and covering. In the old covenant of Moses, sin was covered. In the new covenant of Jesus, sinners are cleansed and transformed into saints. And again, we're gonna dive deeper into these realities, and we're gonna wash our imagination with these realities over the next few weeks and you tell everybody if they want to enjoy freedom, come on and hear the gospel. But now I want to close by asking probably the most important question of the day. So what? So what, church? What difference will all of this Stuff, mate, that you're talking about, preacher. I mean, what is it going to do for my daily life? Why are you saying that it's critical for me to understand these things if I'm going to be set free from the jungle of religion, if I'm going to live with boldness and confidence that the war between me and God is officially over? Well, think about it. If I fail to understand confession and repentance and complete forgiveness... And covering and cleansing. Yeah. If I think that my confession is a prerequisite for God's forgiveness, if I think the gospel is all about me making promises to God rather than God's promises to me, I I am setting myself up. And here's where many of you are. With all kinds of insecurity, all kinds of frustration, all kinds of manipulation. I'm living day to day in doubt about where I stand with my father. I'm kind of like some of you, you live like that little girl who's pulling petals off that flower and she's saying he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me. He loves me not, just just hoping and praying that, that I'll land on a he loves me when all the petals are gone. What a miserable way to live. You get up every day and some of you can't decide what kind of a mood your father's in and how this hurts the heart of your father when he sees us failing to live in and from the security of his love for every one of us. So here's how I respond. When I see these revelations, here's what God's taught me when I begin to see and get a picture of these revelations do I confess my sins absolutely I agree with God when I fail I agree with him and I agree with him and I worship him and I thank him because I know that my forgiveness has already been purchased at the cross and I agree with him about my righteousness do I walk in repentance absolutely but repentance is not about me making promises to God it's about walking with a a changed mind it's a changed perspective it's it's walking in faith rather than unbelief. It's, it's beginning to believe what God believes true about me in the beloved. Do I abuse God's complete forgiveness as a license to sin? Well, I don't know about you, but I never, I never needed a license to sin. You know what I realized? I did pretty good on my own. And it's funny to me when people say, Ben Daly, you give people a license to sin. I said, no, I don't. They've been doing a good job without me giving them a license. They don't even need a license. They've been doing it fine on their own. But in all seriousness the deeper I grow in my experience of God's grace towards me the last thing I have in my mind is trying to figure out how to abuse God's grace people who say that they're not grateful for grace let me tell you something the last thing I want to do is abuse God's grace do you know what I just want to learn how to enjoy it every day I just want to learn how to live a free and a full life every day and does it really matter if I believe that my sins are more than just covered but actually taken away as far as the east is from the west, never to be reattached to you again. Yes, it matters, because if I'm really clean, then every day, both God and I, we aren't playing a game of make-believe. We're just kind of pretending that, that things are okay between us when they're actually not. No, I get to wake up every day knowing that my Father's in a good mood toward me, and I get to enjoy His his fellowship forgiveness literally means what did I say to let go and somebody needs to hear this today it's the gospel Jesus has paid for my sin so that God could absolutely let go of any punishment any penalty that I was ever responsible for as a matter of fact he didn't punish me he punished the very thing that was destroying me he he put down sin once and for all. As a matter of fact, Ben Daly didn't say this. John the Baptist said, when he saw the substance finally arrive, it had always been shadow, but when the substance finally arrived, he said, there is the Lamb of God who covers, no, who takes away not just your sins, watch, but the sins of of the entire world. Past, present, and future. And church, I'm going to tell you something. We're going to be on a journey over the next six weeks. We're going to eat meat. We're going to feed on Jesus. You don't want to miss it. And we're going to dive deeper into the intricacies of the gospel and discover that everyone is captured by something. As a matter of fact, some of you have been captured by distraction. You've been captured by compromise. You've been captured by legalism. You've been captured by moralism. You've been captured by man-made religiosity. You've been captured by churchianity. You've been captured by the jungle of believing that you and God are at war. But church, can I ask you before we walk out of this place today, would you lift up your hands and would you hold them up high? Would you lift up your head? Come on, lift up your head. Begin to look at the realm of faith. Begin to see everything I've declared over you today and just begin to thank Him. Because I declare, Jesus comes to declare. And it's our message here at Calvary Church. May you hear it, lower floor, upper tier, and everybody online, may you hear it. The war is over. And the only way that we're going to grow into fully mature believers is when we truly believe that we have been captured by grace. And by the way, the proper response to grace is gratitude, gratitude, and more gratitude. So for the next 30 seconds, lift up those hands, open up your mouth, and just begin to thank Him right now. Come on. All over this place, just begin to thank Him. Don't ask for anything. Just... Just thank him right now. Come on. Just begin to thank him right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, with hands lifted, your head lifted. Just, just receive his love today. He's being captured right now by grace. Come on, come on, come on. Thank you, Jesus. you're changing your mind. I'm telling you, there's an anointing in this place right now. Just receive right now. Just receive right now. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, right there where you are with hands lifted to just begin to agree with God about what He believes true about you. Right now, just change your mind. Change your perspective. Thank Him you've been forgiven past, present, and future. Thank Him today that it's not just covered, but you're cleansed and it'll never be reattached again. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! 30 more seconds, I want to hear a grateful people. Clap your hands and give God the best praise today. You're just saying yes right there. Come on, you can do better than that. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Pastor Chris, are you here? Come out here real quick. I, I just, before we take communion together and walk out of this place, I want to get around the Lord's table and celebrate everything we talked about. Let me tell you something. I, I, I hadn't had you up here in a minute, but I've heard some good things this week. You've got to know about. That's right. You've heard me talk just a little bit about what we've been doing as a church locally, the ministry of this church locally, regionally. This week we had teams regionally in our GCCM churches. I think three different churches. That's right. But also globally. We've committed to major projects. I talked a little bit, we're going to show some video from. Some of the buildings. But in Africa, we put last month four roofs, I guess, on four children's centers. This is something I've never talked about yet. You're seeing some footage right
1: now. 400 students wear. This is in El Salvador, this is Santa Ana, El Salvador. Uh, This is a a man by the name of Kenton Moody, who actually was the international director of Convoy of Hope uh, until a number of years ago, God called him here. And we're partnering with him, Pastor, and you're right, he has a school uh, that these kids are not gonna get an education. This school, he has 400 students from kindergarten to high school that they're learning how to read, write, they're learning the gospel and what's crazy what he's doing is he has a partnership the local government recognizes how impactful his ministry is so when when gang members y'all ever heard of ms13 or the 18th street gang el salvador is where they come from y'all and so he's dealing with these gang members he has one guy you'll see the picture of uh, kenton hugging him his name is juan carlos got saved got was in prison murdered two people came out got saved Got baptized, Listen. and then his entire family came and got saved under the gospel. Wow! That's what we're partnering with. Well, let me just, let me just say let me just say we not only we not only
0: declare declare this gospel, but we demonstrate. That's right. In a tangible way, church. I'm only going to highlight this one, but just this month, we've given over ten thousand dollars to this project. And I want to say thank you to you because you're not only making a difference locally, but globally. That's right. And I want to say a big thank you to you because the first of everything we give goes to ministry, to our orphans, That's right. to our, uh, um, our, our foster care, yep. to uh, the, the, the ministry through Dallas Metro, our, our, our ministry uh, overseas Continent of and, and I want to say thank you for what you've done even this month just to put the word out to our community that we're here I think we're on in the Metroplex I've had people tell me all week hey I saw Calvary on billboards everywhere there's like nine billboards but I want to say this today and I'm just throwing it out there come on we have a meeting this week that's why I asked you to come out here we were asked just this week something open that I was not expecting but one of the number one time slots that you never get in one of the top television stations Local. in the Metroplex, yeah. 2.6 million households. That's Stop right. me if I'm wrong. Yep. And Calvary, they want Calvary Church to be the message that's going out to the Metroplex. Okay, so, so Pastor Ben, that's great. Let's do it. How many thankful the gospel's free? Yeah, come on. Okay, put your hand down. The gospel's free, but taking it to the world costs. There you go.
1: There it is. That's, That's right.
0: why we get to do this, we get to give. And here's what I'm going to say today. I don't know why I'm saying this, but I feel like today I just want to throw it out there. If you're under the sound of my voice, whether you're here in person or online, and something in you says, I want to help do this project, yeah. maybe there's a businessman, maybe there's right. somebody with a cup, maybe there's just somebody at home that says, I want to give toward this to see. A chunk of the year we don't know what's gonna happen we're going to the meeting this week but we're throwing it out here to say if we believe this message that's right good enough and we get to get it out everywhere not just not just it's best through us Yeah. yeah but also through great platforms that's right we're gonna do everything we can if that's you reach out to us this week because we're gonna go to this meeting and just trust God do we know how we're gonna do it no but we're gonna trust God that's right so before before we go we can't do it without you we need everybody that says I'm gonna give God what's first and what's best not what's least and last our hosts are coming forward right now before we take communion and walk out of this place I want you to prepare your generosity right now whether it's digital or envelope and after you give today I want you to prepare your communion elements get them out open them up get them in your hand lower floor upper tier and online Because we're going to receive together as a community of faith, celebrating what? Oh, I don't know. Celebrating a whole lot. That's right. So that's what we're doing. Father, I thank you today for every giver, every person. We We don't give today because we're cursed. We give today because the curse has been broken. We don't give today because we don't feel like you're a good father and you haven't blessed us. We give today because we've been blessed with all things pertaining to life and Godliness.
1: So we give our first and best. Speak a blessing over every giver. Father, I just declare over every person that is holding a seed. It's a seed of faith where they say, I trust you as my source, not my paycheck, not the government. It is you. I speak multiplication in Jesus' name as you give. Let's go ahead and give to the Lord right after you give. We're going to receive communion
0: together and celebrate Jesus. Let's give.